0: So, our fourth sermon on this conscience series, we've looked at what the conscience is, uh, how to calibrate the conscience, how to, how to go against our conscience in the right way. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at how do we live among other people within our own family, within your own marriage, within your workplace, within your own church. How do you live among people who have different opinions than you? How do you live and have actual unity, peace, joy, the enjoyment of others, even when you totally disagree on a lot of different issues and and not unimportant issues, but even important issues? How do we actually live with each other in a way that is loving, gracious, where we live by our convictions, but we also have grace for other people's convictions? We're not burning bridges uh, we're not causing problems, but we're, we're really just finding unity, especially in the body of Christ, in our own families. How do we do that? You know, I know for myself, uh, a, a lot of us, you know, we might have maybe more conservative opinions on things, but then in other parts of your life, you might have uh, more free opinions about certain things. I know that's how I am. I think we're all a mix. I think all of us are more conservative in some things, but maybe just a little more liberal on some other things. Right? We, we kind of like are, we're not like all this side, all that side, and I'm not talking conservative and liberal meaning politics, just to be clear, okay? I'm just talking about like just the way that you see life, the way that you see certain things, uh, although politics included, but that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, for me, I know that I'm more conservative on a lot of different various issues and topics than some of my friends, but I also know that I'm more free on a lot of topics than some of my friends, so what happens when you kind of disagree? You don't see things try, uh, quite the same way. Is the, is the goal to try to prove that you're right or whatever it is? Or what, how do we do this? How do we live among each other in peace, with joy, even when we disagree? That's what we're gonna be looking at today. I hope it's going to be helpful and challenging, but encouraging. And hopefully just, you know, bringing light into our hearts, maybe conviction on the way some of our attitudes have been towards others. Um, but I hope all of us leave here today with a little bit more uh, know-how of how to have a, a heart for the Lord, a heart for the gospel that, that, uh, that really permeates our view towards uh, about others, uh, the way that we live among others. So I want to pray, and then we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of big uh, sections of scripture, but we're going to start off in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 today. So let me pray. Father in heaven, we want your name to be made great in our lives. We want your name to be glorified. Even as we just sang already, just we want it to be, you to be glorified in our speech and when people think of us, when they see us, we want to be a blessing to others. We want to be the body of Christ, the hands and feet of your son Jesus. We want to be people who love others, who care for others, who are empathetic, who go out of our way to get to know people and not just treat them like they're part of just a a group of people or those people, but we actually see everyone from our spouses to our neighbors to our coworkers as people made in the image of God, people that you've created. And there's a wide spectrum of You know, you got believers who maybe differ on some minor things. You've got non-believing friends who are just so diametrically opposed to uh, maybe what we believe are our values. But but we're never going to meet someone in this world that was not made in your image. So teach us. Lord, I don't know how you did it when you came to this earth. I just, I... I imagine if it was me, I would just be so frustrated all the time with everyone, but somehow you just had grace, you had love, and you, you called people out when it was time, but you loved them when it was time. I, it, it amazes me. I want to be more like you. I want our church family to be more like you. So we need a lot of help. My prayer this morning, Lord, is that by the strength of your word, the power of your word, the work of your spirit in us, that your word would transform us and change us, that it would conform us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. So help us. We Thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, Paul is quoting kind of a common thing being said. We, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Um, he's like, I, I know what you guys are saying. You're going to say to me, well, all things are lawful. I, you, you, it's, it's, it's their way of saying, you can't judge me. I, can, I have my own freedom. All things are lawful. You can't tell me what I can and can't do. You're, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's the Corinthian way of saying, you're not the boss of me, right, like a little kid. All things are lawful. And Paul says, yeah, but not all things are helpful. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. It might not be helpful for you or for others. And then he says it again. All things are lawful. You're not the boss of me. Yeah, he says, but not everything builds up. Just because you can do something, it might not build your neighbor up. It might not build your spouse up. It might not build your kids up. Just because it's okay for you to do it doesn't mean you should do it. It might not build others up. And he goes on and he says, let no one seek his own good, but instead we should seek the good of his neighbor eat whatever's sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So we've been talking the last couple of weeks about how a lot of uh, Gentile believers, maybe they had a previous life uh, in idolatry, so they would offer meat to their false gods and stuff. And so now when they go to the market, they're going, oh, I can't buy from that butcher because he sacrifices meat to the idol that I used to worship. So I feel dirty if I eat that meat, right? So there's a, a conscience issue. And he goes, look, for your own sake, when you go to the market, just don't ask. Just buy the meat. For own, it's, it's kind of funny, isn't it? It's like, it's weird. It's kind of, he goes, just don't ask. Your conscience won't be bothered. He's just being very practical. He's being very practical. He's saying, look, those gods don't actually exist. So if it bothers you, then just don't ask about it. Just eat the meat. Eat whatever's sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. And then he quotes scripture. He says, because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, it's good meat. It's good meat it's fine. So if it bothers you, then maybe just don't ask and you're, you'll be good. Now, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner, okay, so you can kind of almost picture this in your own life in a different way, different context, but if an unbeliever invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, so you're like, okay, I need to go to this thing. I have to go. I'm, I'm, eat whatever's set before you, without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So don't say like, hey, so uh, which butcher did you get this from? Because I don't really eat meat that's, you know, from that guy because he's, you know, this kind of person. And just don't ask, right? You're going into a a non-believer's home. They've welcomed you in, right? You're supposed to be light to them. So don't just sit there and like nitpick all the stuff. Oh yeah, we don't do that. I don't eat that. Like, just don't do it. Just, Just go and be a good guest. Be a good guest. But then he says, but if someone says to you, they kind of lean over and they go, hey, hey, Just, you know, this meat's been sacrificed to an idol, right? So someone knows that, their conscience is bothered. They're worried that you're gonna do this thing and make yourself defiled, which isn't true, but it bothers them. So if someone says to you, this this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it. Don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you, for the sake of the person who just whispered to you, for their sake and for the sake of conscience. And Paul clarifies, I don't mean your conscience. Your conscience is fine, you're like, it looks like a tasty tri-tip. Uh, I'm bummed I don't get to eat this now. But he says, I don't mean for your conscience, but for his. For the sake of this guy, you go, oh, man, thanks for letting me know. Okay, yeah, I won't, I won't eat this. Because you don't want to wound this guy who's got a weak conscience. You're not going to be like, oh, but I want the tri-tip. You're going, oh, oh gosh, yeah, I don't want to do that. Then thank you for letting me know. I don't mean your conscience, but his. Now then he says, So he kind of goes in a different angle here. He goes, now, why should my liberty, my freedom to eat this meat, be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So so he's saying, if I'm able to eat this meat and give thanks to God, why am I feeling judged by this guy? But this is where the problem is, is we have rights, we have our liberties, we have our freedom in Christ, but there are times when we have to set those aside for the sake of others. And that's what we're gonna be looking at today. Now one thing that can commonly happen that varies from person to person is how an individual responds to their understanding of sin and their life and the world around them. So I wanna show you a graphic uh, that'll be up on the screen here. Uh, This first one, you see a couple lines. Now the, the, the top line, the red line, is your knowledge of God and his laws. So on the left, very, very left, this is where you first become a believer, right? And so when I first became a believer, for instance, I was like, oh yeah, I guess I'm, I'm kind of a sinner. Well, that's a bummer. And so my knowledge of God and his laws was very tiny. I was like, oh, well, thanks God for helping me out, bro. Like it was just, I was really just ignorant of like how big God is and how big my sin is. But as time goes on, I'm learning more about God and his laws. That's growing, Now I see a lot more clarity of who God is and His holiness. My problem, all of our problems, is we're on the blue line, right? That's our obedience to God and His laws. Our knowledge of God and His laws far exceeds our ability to actually follow Him, right? Can I get an amen on that one, right? You're like, yeah, totally. So what happens is that gap often keeps growing in your life. You get down five years, 10 years in your faith, and you're going, God is so amazing, he's so holy, and I'm way worse than I thought I was in the very beginning, because the gap was smaller in the very beginning. So this is a problem for us. Now, if you have ever noticed this, um, Paul, three different times he describes himself, and if you go in successive order, early on in his epistles, he says, I'm the least of the apostles. Right, which is a great humble thing. He's like, I'm an apostle, but I'm I'm kind of the bottom rung of the apostles. A little bit later, he writes another letter and he goes, I'm the least of the saints. It's almost like he's moving on, like, I don't even I feel weird, even call myself an apostle. I'm the least of the saints. Then by the very end, in another letter, he says, I'm actually the chief of sinners. So it's weird you go, was Paul getting worse in his life? I don't think he was. I think he was being sanctified and growing in personal holiness, but as time went on, his picture of God got so much bigger. God was so much more beautiful than he ever thought, and so his, the gap was growing, so by the end of his life, he's like, I'm the chief of sinners. Now, what happens is, between the person with the, the weak conscience or the strong conscience, someone has a great grip on the gospel or a not very good grip on the gospel, the person with the weak conscience looks at that gap and just says, I'm a horrible person. How could God ever love me? I'm just, and, and there's that self-talk and self-condemnation. And you just, you feel like you have to do all this stuff to make it up to God. And you just, you just always feel like you're looking over your shoulder or just overanalyzing everything in your life. You just don't feel acceptable to God. But the person with a strong conscience looks at that gap and says, I can't believe how good God is. He has saved me from so much. He set me free from so much. I can't believe this. There's this joy, there's a confidence that they have before the Lord. They know that they're the chief of sinners. They know that they're they're far worse off than they ever thought they were, but they understand the gospel, so they walk in a freedom that the person with a weak conscience is not able to do that gap crushes those people. But for the, those with the strong conscience, that gap just makes them glorify the Lord more and be more amazed. So one focus is on the Lord and is not just his holiness but also his grace. The other one the focus is on God's holiness, but their own sin. And so it's a crushing thing because there's a lack of an understanding of the gospel. There's a, a woe is me, self-condemning, guilty conscience. Always suspicious of themselves and others. But that person with the strong conscience, who has a great grip on the gospel, they look at that gap and they don't say, Oh, I'm so horrible. I need to do more or abstain more from this. And I need to fill in that gap to please God. They say, God, look at that gap. You are so much greater than I ever thought you were. My sin is great, but your grace is greater. That's what that person says. So the person with that strong conscience, they're in a good place, recognizing sin, recognizing freedom from sin, and free from self-condemnation. But that can cause friction between different believers. The the weak conscience believer can look at the strong conscience believer and assume that they're just being flippant about life. Well, you don't care who who butchered that meat? Why, Why don't you care? Don't you think you should like... Think about that. Like, so they just, they, they look at the person with a strong conscience, and just go like, man, you don't, you don't care about God's holiness at all. You're so flippant about everything. Like, just walk around in your freedom. So they just automatically assume that these people just don't really care about God's holiness. They don't care about obedience because they're oversensitive. That check engine light is just going off all the time for them. So they actually think that maybe a person with a strong conscience really actually has a hardened conscience. But also then sometimes the strong conscience person can look at the person with a weak conscience and they can look down and be very condescending towards them, kind of make snide remarks. They can mock them, scoff them, not have patience for them and do the whole thing, you you can't judge me. You're not the boss of me, that whole attitude. So people with a strong conscience can very much look down upon people who don't quite have a great grip on the gospel yet And rather than looking down on them, we are supposed to show uh, deference to them. We're supposed to show love and patience towards them. So, to the strong, if you feel like you have a pretty strong conscience on a lot of things, maybe not everything, but a lot of things, Paul gives us insight on how to tiptoe through this Life, because walking through life with different consciences and different people and your church and your family, and whatever, I mean, it's like walking through, I, I say it's like, a, it's like a junior high dance in a minefield. Like it's just, it's so awkward, right? One false step, and you just get blown up for something, right? That's what life is in the church sometimes, right? That's what life is in your family sometimes. It's just, it's, it's awkward, right? So for the strong, yes, you have rights given by Jesus Christ that you're aware of and you can enjoy, But if you're with someone who doesn't agree, who's stumbled by your actions, we're going to talk about stumbling here in a second, they're stumbled by your actions, for their sake, you should abstain in those situations. Do the mature thing. Do the loving thing. Don't insist on your own way. Don't dig your heels in the ground. If you're going to walk in love towards others, you're going to lay aside your preferences, If you have a strong conscience about something, if you desire the other person's joy and you love them, you'll set aside your preferences. In a lot of marriages, you have maybe a difference of of, of certain topics in life. So some of you husbands, maybe it makes your wife uncomfortable when you just want to enjoy a beer on a Saturday or whatever. Maybe it's her upbringing, something in her childhood, something else. Would you rather have the security and comfort for your spouse and build her trust in you or would you rather have your beard? Don't answer that out loud, guys. Don't answer that out loud. But think about that. Would you rather have your wife's security and comfort and her being built up or would you just rather have your way? And so some of you wives, you have certain preferences, the way you like things done. Would you rather have everything done your way and in your order... Don't answer that out loud. You're like, you don't even have to say the rest of the sentence, pastor. I know what my answer is. <laughs> do, would you rather have that? or And if you'd have that, then you would alienate and also like build a separation between your, you and your husband. You just so want your own way. You build alienation and distance between the two of you because you just, you want your way. Right? We have to figure out how do we do this? When do we set aside our preferences for the sake of others, for the sake of love, for the sake of building people up, rather than just insisting on our way. Paul says in Romans chapter 15, verse one and two, we who are strong, so if you feel like you're strong, you've got a strong conscience, you've got a strong grip on your faith, this is a challenging scripture here. We who are strong have an obligation, an obligation, this is not an option. We have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Right, so we can look at it and go, "Well, they're just," but that's, they're wrong. Doesn't matter. We have to we have to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. So let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. I feel like that verse has been absent for the last three years in our country. We took out our black highlighters. <laughs> Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up, for Christ did not please himself. So friends, parents, spouses, Christians, circle that verse in your Bible. Memorize that verse. You have an obligation, an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Even if you're right, even if you're right, this much is clear in Scripture with any topic, even if you are right, you have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please yourself, but build that person up because that's what Jesus did. That's the model of Jesus. Now to the weak, so some of you who might be know, like I've got some areas of weakness. Now I'm in that category. I know I've got areas of weakness, weak conscience. I have categories in both remember a couple weeks ago, I read that really long, crazy list, like I'm all over the map on those. Some I have a strong conscience, some I have a weak conscience, okay? So again, I'm in both boats here, depending on the topic. So I want to walk you through something important. If you feel like you have a weak conscience in maybe certain topics or just kind of overall, it's the difference between preference versus offense versus stumbling. This is in your notes. You can read along here. Preference versus offense versus stumbling. It's one thing to have your preferences ignored. That's a bummer. It's another thing to be offended. That's even worse. But it's a whole different thing to be caused to stumble. Now, the issue that Paul is warning the strong against is they would not stumble someone. He doesn't want the strong to stumble another believer and we have to see the difference here between preferences and offenses and stumbling, because that helps us, both strong and weak, to understand what's going on in our own hearts. To stumble someone is to purposely put something in front of them to cause them to sin. Right? The, the, the word in Greek is scandalon, so it's, it's, it's actually it's to scandalize someone, right? You're doing something to scandalize them. You're trying to entice them into something sin sinful, scandalizing them not caring if their conscience is wounded, not caring if if they break their conscience because you insisted on your rights. Sometimes someone has preferences or convictions and another person isn't willfully trying to tempt them into sin, right? You're not doing this on purpose. You're not trying to pressure them into sin. You're not trying to lay a trap for them to try to stumble them. But the person with a weak conscience sometimes will, will cry foul and accuse you of trying to stumble them, it, it's the, the so so what happens is a weak conscience person maybe they don't like something, it's not actually causing them to sin. They just don't like it. They don't prefer it, and they will say, "You're stumbling me." Well, not quite, not quite. I'm not saying there's not you know a, a back and forth relationship that happened, but that's not stumbling. And so sometimes the person with a weak conscience can, can use that big word to kind of drop that, kind of the, that trump card. You're stumbling me. And it's kind of a way of manipulation. They, they, they want to get what they want to get. They're, they're kind of acting like the moral police. It's kind of some self-righteous flexing that's going on. But that's not really what stumbling is. So when I was in uh, Bible college, um, you know, I was 19 years old. Uh, you can't have a lot in your dorm. We had six guys in this dorm. It was ridiculous. And, um, you know, when I moved out of my house uh, when I was 18, I just, I brought a handful of little things just to remind me of home. So uh, when I was growing up, ever since I was little, my dad, who was an artist, uh, had this little statue of the thinker, right? You know, the thinker, uh, the guy who's not wearing any clothes and he's sitting on a little stump like this, right? And my whole life, it just reminded me of my dad because it always sat on his drawing table. So when I moved out at age 18, I said, dad, can I take the thinker with me? And he'd had it, I mean, since my longest memory, you know, and, uh, and he let me take the thinker. So I'm at Bible college now, and I've got the thinker out kind of in the, you know, just in the room. And I had this roommate um, that uh, we called Legalistic Tom. <laughs> he earned that reputation. <laughs> it um, wasn't the, the most loving nickname to give someone, but, um, but he, he definitely earned it, right? So he said to me once, he goes, hey, you need to put that away. It's stumbling me. And I was like in our dorm steward, the guy who's like head of the dorm, he's like, it's stumbling you? Like, what do you mean it's stumbling you? He goes, yeah, it's just, it's stumbling me. Like, so that's making you want to sin and like draw you into sin. And he goes, well, no, I just, I just don't like it. I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's a different story. But Tom would use scripture to say that I was stumbling him, even though I wasn't actually stumbling him. He just didn't like the thinker. He could say it offends me. He could say he doesn't prefer it, but it wasn't stumbling him. He was just being legalistic. And it wasn't just this one issue. He had that reputation because he was like that with everyone and everything. He was just imposing his preferences on me. So what I did, because I still don't want to offend a guy, right? I don't want to like insist on my own way. So I put it in my little cubby. So we had like these bunks and like I put it in a way where I could only see it. I'm the only guy now that can see the thinker. He's just in my little cubby hidden. I'm going, all right, that's fine. That's fine. I'll do that. I didn't want to impose my preferences on him, but Tom still wasn't happy with this. Sometimes I would come home and I'd go and I'd find the thinker tucked in my dresser drawer underneath all my clothes. So he would go in my cubby, take the thinker and put it in my dresser because he just doesn't even want to know that it's out, even though he doesn't even see it, whatever. So, so, so Tom's not really like a weak conscience guy. He's really just a legalist. Uh, But the point is, is that he would use Scripture and this big stumbling word and say, you can't do that because it's causing me to stumble, even though that's not actually what was happening. So there is a difference between stumbling and being offended and not getting your preferences. And just because you know someone who doesn't agree with you on something, just because they do something that you don't necessarily agree with, you can't just blanket statement call that stumbling, right? We can't do that to people. I've heard a lot of people say over the years, well, it's always a sin, for instance, for a Christian to ever drink alcohol in any context because that could cause others to stumble. That's an understandable view. I understand the view, but by saying that, we're putting Jesus and all of his disciples in a category to say that they are stumbling people because billions of people have read the word of God. Billions of people know that Jesus and his disciples drank wine. So if just the knowledge that someone has a freedom is stumbling, then what we're saying is that Jesus and the disciples have sinned because they did something in, with their freedom that someone else might not like. So we can't just say, well, the knowledge that this person enjoys this thing, that's stumbling me. That's not what stumbling is. It's purposefully trying to put a stumbling block in front of someone to draw them into sin. It's not caring about their weak conscience. It's not caring about their life. Right, so that's the weird balance in Paul's writings. He goes back and forth on like, hey, put your preferences aside. But also, you, you can't dictate my conscience. So it's an and both, and it's tricky. It's the junior high dance in a minefield. So we have to be very cautious and careful in all of our relationships. And it's not just a, here's how you do it, one, two, three. Every relationship is going to be different. Every situation is going to be different. They are relationships they're not rules that we follow but they're relationships so we can know i mean so look what look what Jesus said about the Pharisees cuz the Pharisees they thought that Jesus was stumbling people they thought that he was look what he says in Matthew 11 Jesus says what should i but to what shall i compare this generation it's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates he quotes a song here. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, but you didn't mourn. Jesus says, "John, John the Baptist came. Uh, John came neither eating or drinking, so he's abstaining. He's very conservative. And what did you guys say? What did you Pharisees say? You, oh, the guy's got a demon. So then I come, and now I'm eating with sinners and tax collectors, and I'm enjoying good food and parties. I'm eating and drinking." And what do you say to me? Oh, look at him, a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But Jesus' response is, wisdom is justified by her deeds. You don't judge someone based on whether they drink or don't drink or eat or don't eat. Wisdom is justified by their deeds, the the life they live, not whether they eat meat offered to an idol or not. Not whether they do this or that, or the, you know, where they send their kids to school or what kind of movies they watch. That's not how we judge people. We look at their overall life and say, is this person, is is wisdom coming from this person's life? Wisdom is justified by her deeds. That's what we do. It'll be impossible to totally please all other people. Impossible. Jesus' own liberties, Jesus' liberties offended people. But we can't say that simply knowing that he and his disciples drank wine and ate good food actually stumbled people. So we want to walk in wisdom and walk in care and grace, letting the fruit of our lives be what testifies of us. People will know we're Christians by our love for one another, not what we eat or drink, not what we watch. And I'm not saying that those things don't matter. What you watch matters. Don't hear me say that, right? But people will know we're Christians by our love for one another, by the way that we act like Christ in the world. Now, of course, if we're out getting drunk, that's a different story. That would actually stumble people, because that is sin, and we'd be condoning that. So that's a different thing. But if it's just a liberty, and we're not sinning, then that's not stumbling, when it's, just, when it's not purposely trying to bring someone into a sin. So looking back at 1 Corinthians 10, Paul's talking about not being careless, that we should be aware and be gracious and willing to forego our rights in some situations, knowing the difference between preference and personal conviction and being offended and knowing the difference between those things and stumbling is very important for us. It radically changes how we respond to people. You know, I'll talk to people who make fun of my beliefs and you know it, it doesn't really actually offend me because I, I expect it. You know, and it doesn't stumble me. It doesn't cause me to wanna to not believe what I believe. I expect people to mock my beliefs. It doesn't really actually offend me. I don't prefer that they do, but it doesn't really offend me because I don't expect anything different. And I don't just say, hey, you know, you can't talk about that. Like, you know, I just go, hey, this is what I expect. I have to walk in grace. I have to be a sojourner, a pilgrim in this world. Now for both weak and strong, we both have to see that our perspectives are shaped by many things. We saw this three weeks ago. Our perspective is shaped by many things, both good and bad. And a lot of times, both sides actually have some valid views, but both sides might actually also be missing something as well. So I have another graphic just to kind of show you um, what can happen a lot of times. Uh, So for you, you're on the left, that's your conscience, your friend, your spouse, they've got their conscience. And you're saying, it's a, it's a red square. This issue is a red square. And the other person goes, no, 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 no. This issue is a blue circle. The reality is that it's a red and blue sphere, cylinder. But because of maybe your upbringing or maybe what you read or whatever it is, your past, you name it, you primarily see the red square. The other person primarily sees the blue circle. Neither is necessarily wrong but it's incomplete, right? So that's where we have to actually be able to talk with people, have grace towards others. Hey, so explain to me why you feel that way. Oh, wow, I never really thought about that. Being able to actually listen. Listening skills are at a premium these days. No one wants to listen. We all wanna talk and tweet and all this stuff. No one wants to listen and have a conversation, right? So we have to recognize that we have to know that some other people have maybe some valid things. Now, I'm not saying that they're completely right or completely wrong, whatever. I'm just saying that we see in a very finite way all the topics in life or many of the topics in life. We are incomplete. We are not all knowing. We're not omniscient. I know you think you are because you read this guy or you follow this guy, you listen to this podcast, whatever. You think you're omniscient. You know everything there is to know about a topic, but you're not. Right, so this is where we have to have grace towards others. And I'm gonna look at a large section of scripture, Romans 14, so you should open with me, Romans 14. I just want you to get this really big context here. We read some of this three weeks ago, but Romans 14, verse one, Paul says, as for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Right, our job, church, is not to quarrel over our opinions. That's foolishness. That's foolishness. So we welcome people who are very sensitive. They're oversensitive. They, they're always finding things wrong with everything. Welcome them, but don't let them argue. That's, that's, that's not helpful. And there's a lot of other scriptures that talk about that. One person believes he can eat anything. The other person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Don't mock them, look down upon them. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls. God's gonna be the judge. Don't worry. Don't worry. If, if your neighbor or your friend doesn't agree with you, don't worry. God's gonna have the last word, right? You don't have to have the last word. God is gonna be the one who judges him. And he will be upheld by the Lord because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day is better than another. The other person seems all days alike, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observe it to honor the Lord. Think well of other people. Think, you know what, I think they're doing that because they want to honor the Lord. They abstain from that. I don't think they need to abstain, but they do it because they want to honor the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. Rather than going, yeah, it's so silly. How come they don't do that? That's so weird. Don't, don't have that attitude. Just say, you know what, that's what they do to honor the Lord. Praise the Lord. They want to, they want to honor God. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. But the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and he gives thanks to God. Praise the Lord, this is great news. None of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. So why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? We will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather, rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother." I've said this so many times, particularly through the last few years, the COVID years, whatever. The only stumbling block I ever want to put in front of someone is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want my opinions on all this other stuff. All this, I, don't, I don't want to stumble people with all that. It's just my opinion. And I might have strong opinions on all those things that everyone you know, got crazy over. I have strong opinions, but I'm not going to put that stumbling block in front of somebody. If there's, if there's going to be a stumbling block, I want it to be Jesus. I want them to stumble over Jesus. Jesus but not all these other things that I even have strong opinions on. But that doesn't matter to me when it comes to someone's salvation and knowing Jesus, loving Jesus. He should be the only thing that should ever cause someone to stumble because he is a rock of offense. Jesus is offensive to people. But I want that to be the stumbling block, not my opinion on all the other things, my my preferences, how Joby likes to do things. That's That's not what we're here for. He says, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. So, so, weak conscience people, take note. Nothing is unclean in itself. Nothing's unclean in itself. God has created all good things. But, now, strong conscience people, take note here. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean, right? So, strong, like, don't say, what are you, what's your problem? And just go, hey, you know what? They think it's unclean. I'm going to take note. I'm not going to look down upon them, right? All things are clean, nothing's unclean in itself, but if you feel like it is, then it is to you, even though you might be wrong on it. If your brother's grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not, so however you enjoy your liberties or what you abstain from, by however you eat, whether you eat or not, don't destroy the one that Christ died for. Don't judge the other person who doesn't see it your way. Don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Don't let your liberties be used to do wickedness in someone else's life. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking and mask wearing and politics and how we parent our kids and what schools we send them to, what movies we watch. That's not the kingdom of God. That is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a matter of whether you eat or drink or whether you do all these different things, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And eventually we're all going to stand before the Lord and we're going to find out if our opinions are right or wrong. And we're going to, we're going to hopefully score pretty well, but we're going to score bad on a few things or a lot of things. Right? We're not going to figure out all this stuff here. In the meantime, we want to be unified with each other for the sake of the gospel and to see many be saved. And the Lord will work out all the other stuff when we sit before him. So Paul's saying, don't make the things that you have freedom, and you have freedom, you have freedom to choose all those things, right? Parenting, schooling, all that stuff, mass, whatever. You have freedom, you have freedom to choose all those things. But don't make the things that you have freedom in so important to you that you're willing to hurt others and especially make them stumble. The kingdom of God is not about those freedoms. It's about righteousness and peace and joy. And so then further, he goes on to say this in verse 18. Whoever thus serves Christ is, is acceptable to God and approved by men, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food, for the sake of your freedoms and your liberties, don't destroy the work of God in someone else's life. Don't destroy the work of God just because you've got the freedom. Everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith you have, keep it between yourself and God. Blessed, blessed. Do you want to be blessed? Are you sure? Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not done from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So we who are strong, this is the verse I read earlier, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up for Christ did not please himself. He set aside all of his freedoms for our sake. Verse five, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are to consider Jesus. Jesus had a very strong conscience, didn't he? He had a perfect conscience. But even someone like him who had a perfectly strong conscience, he would have been so offended by everything he saw when he came to this earth. So offended, he can read the minds and thoughts of everyone. He would be so appalled by everyone that he encountered and that he patiently endured, patiently endured. He laid his life down. He didn't condone any of those things, but he was able to live among us. Jesus' awareness of everyone's sin was so hyperactive, right? We, we're pretty good at picking out people's sin. It's like one of our best traits as human beings. Right? We're very good at pointing at other people's sins. But his, his ability to see sin was so hyperactive compared to us, yet it didn't stop him from living patiently among us, doing business with sinful people when he was a carpenter, not violating his conscience to do business with and live life among those who sin against his father every day. It didn't, it didn't break his conscience. Now, Satan tried to stumble him, and Jesus rebuked him. Peter tried to stumble him, so he said, get behind me, Satan. But Christ was no doubt so offended each and every day since he was a little boy, grieved by what he saw and what he heard. For sure, his own preferences for how people lived were totally violated all the time, but he patiently endured. He strived with them. He wasn't waiting to smash someone for every little thing, even though truly, even every sin, big and small, is an offense to God. But rather, he let a sinner, John, rest on his own chest. He washed the feet of those who would betray him. He promised a career criminal on the cross that he would be with them in paradise that very day. Jesus chose what hills to die on and the hill he chose to die on was the hill at Calvary. We should want to do the same thing. Lay our lives down for the sake of others so that they would be saved and know Jesus. So church, we should expect to be offended by believers and non-believers. Expect it, expect it. And you're gonna offend people. (laughs) On purpose and accidentally, people are going to offend us, and we need to be okay with that to a degree. Proverbs 19.11 says, good sense, wisdom, good sense, makes one slow to anger, and it's his glory to overlook an offense. It's a good thing if you're able just to patiently endure with people. So the person with a weak conscience, as we close up here, to the person with a weak conscience, Jesus sets an example that out of love, he set aside his own preferences. He didn't walk around condemning everyone for everything they did because our Lord endured our own offense and he didn't seek to please himself. For the person with a strong conscience, he also sets an example that he himself set aside his rights for the sake of others. The hope for both of us in our freedoms and in our weaknesses is that we can be people of charity, grace, and encouragement. Paul's goal isn't to say who's right and who's wrong. Paul's goal is unity, love, righteousness, peace. When the goal for us is to win an argument, no one actually wins. That's true in your families. That's true in your friendships. So we remind ourselves that others that we differ with on secondary issues, they're servants of God, and we can disagree. They're people who are going to answer to God and not us. So whether you eat or drink, this is from God's word here, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I, Paul, I tried to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many. I want to see the advantage, other people be advantaged so that they might be saved. So I'm not going to seek to please myself. And then Martin Luther said in his last three weeks, have your conscience held Captive by the word of God. Let God's word inform your conscience, shape your conscience by the power of the spirit through God's word. Let's pray. and Thank the Lord. I know a lot of these things, like, you know, that you kind of, some things maybe you bristle with, you kind of like push back on in your mind, your heart, and that's good. It's good. It's good to be challenged. We don't come here to get a pat on the back. You know, just to reverse ourselves on that Little continuum on that graphic. You know, we, we want to see more of God and His holiness. We want to see more of our faults, not for the sake of condemnation, but because we want to see our love for Christ grow more and more, our gratitude for Christ grow more and more. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are so patient with us. It's so amazing how. Overcomplicated we make things, and it's because of our our self righteousness, our our legalism, our judgmentalism. Um, we really kind of think we're God. We think we're omniscient. We know all things about every topic. Uh, we have very strong opinions, which that in itself isn't a bad thing, um, but then we uh, we assert our opinions on others, and when it's These tertiary issues, these side issues, issues that aren't clear in Scripture, issues in Scripture that we have different freedoms in, um, we're not supposed to impose ourselves on others. And yet we do, both the weak and the strong, we do this. We mistreat the body of Christ. We become not a doer of the law, but a judge of the law. Uh, we become the moral police in others' lives. So help us, teach us humility, teach us grace. We want to speak into lives. We want to be honest, good friends, confronting in sin. But we also want to know how to overlook an offense, overlook when our preferences are violated. Just having the wisdom to know when to speak up and when not to. Lord, I know this is not just a black and white, here's how we do every situation. Uh, it is very complicated. So we need wisdom. We need transformation. We need your mind. So help us, Lord. Help us, God. We want to sing to you, Lord. Make a joyful noise to you. To come into your presence with thanksgiving. Lord, you are our God, and we're the people of your pasture. We're the sheep at your hand. So we come to you, and we worship, we bow down, and we kneel before you, Lord, submitting ourselves to you and your word. In Jesus' name, amen.